Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Ainsley Hooper Chats With and this week I have with me uh, Karen Headley. So hi Karen, how are you? Hi Ainsley, I'm good. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Would you like to introduce yourself and tell everyone who you are and, and things, just yeah, introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, my name is Karen. I live in Canberra. I've been here for over 20 years. Um, I have been working um, in the disability community for over 30 years, so pretty much my whole career. Um, done heaps of different things within that, um, employment, accommodation, sexuality, education, lots of exciting stuff. Um, and then I um, considered myself a woman with disabilities about five years ago. Um, and so that's been kind of interesting, sitting on both sides of that fence. Mm -hmm. um, and then to just to add another layer to it, um, my kids have autism. So I also um, advocate for the, on their behalf as well and yeah, help them navigate the world. Wow. So yeah. <laughs> you've, had a lot, you've been doing a lot in the area. Wow, that's fascinating. So tell me, because um, you said that you wouldn't have um, considered yourself to be have a disability until what five seven years ago. Uh, what got you working in in the sector for, for that whole time? Like the, that's a, such a long uh, time. Yeah, it's a bit of a funny story, and it's a little bit embarrassing. But anyway, so I um, I was lucky enough to finish school and go to university when university was free. So Hex didn't come in until after I'd started university. So I went to university and did a visual art degree because I didn't know what to do with my life. So I thought three years of creating art would be fun. So I went and did that and then realised that I couldn't get a job out of that. So I did a teaching diploma. Um, and then one of my mum's friends actually asked me if I, she was, um, like the admin reception person at the local special school mm -hmm. and she asked me if I would be um, willing to go and teach there and I was like oh I don't think so because when I was at high school I'd, I'd walked to school and I was always late <laughs> and the bus full of special school you know the special school bus would drive past me and a lot of the kids would yell at me and sometimes they'd spit at me and that kind of thing and so I was really like I'd get really anxious over that and so I was like mm, I don't know if I could and I'll oh, just come and give it a try and so I did and that was kind of I really enjoyed it yeah I think it was probably just that fear of the unknown and you know but yeah once I did it um mm -hmm. I really enjoyed it and just never kind of looked back. Wow, interesting. Yeah. So um, we were talking earlier, and you were saying how yeah, you, that basically that you didn't identify as having a disability till um, uh, several a few years ago. So do you mind telling That's us a little bit about that? Uh, in terms of deciding to identify yeah so like what yeah. I, i'm very interested in uh, for, like for myself i've got a physical disability so and my congenital so i was born with it so what i'm interested in is um yeah what what life has been first of all i guess yes what got you to identify as having a disability and what was like before what was life for you like beforehand yeah. Uh, as opposed to now. Yeah. Well, in terms of um, identifying, I guess, so around the same time that my oldest, my son was diagnosed with autism and I started getting some of the symptoms, oh, no, that was a bit later, um, I actually started working at Advocacy for Inclusion here in Canberra with Christina Ryan. And that's where I really started to learn a lot about rights and you know the legislation and all of that self-advocacy all that kind of stuff um and i think i've always um really liked the part in the disability discrimination act that is kind of like a, a disability is when a part of your body or your your mind doesn't work the way that most people do I really like how broad that is mm -hmm. and almost that it's kind of like, I mean, it's not specifically saying you can self-identify, self, self um, identify, but um, 
yeah, I kind of like that. So my, my youngest actually has um, celiac disease and I wouldn't necessarily consider that a disability, but I am quite well aware that it fits under the Disability Discrimination Act and that right. there have been cases go to the Human Rights Commission about, um, you know, not being given gluten-free food. Mm -hmm. But I guess I just had a different, it gave me a different perspective on what disability was and, you know, how you could see if you had, if you believed you had a disability or not. Um, and I, I know a lot of other women in particular who have very similar conditions to what mm -hmm. I have mm -hmm. and don't identify as disabled. And I think that's fine. That's, you know, their choice. Mm -hmm. Um in some ways, I think it's quite a powerful thing to do because I feel like I've been accepted into a community that mm -hmm. is very supportive. Um, but, yeah, so I started having some symptoms probably um, about 10 years ago now. And before that, I was kind of like super mom. Like I had three children under three. They're in soft nappies. I cooked all their food from scratch. I sewed all their clothes. Like it was ridiculous. So I was always doing stuff. I was very social. Um, and then I just started to be really tired, have pain, that kind of thing. And then it took, um, I didn't get a full diagnosis until 2014. So it took quite a while. Um, but even then at that point I was having, you know, I was tired, I had some pain, but it wasn't really interfering with what I could do. Mm -hmm. Um, I had had to reduce my hours at work a bit, but that still wasn't too much. Um, and then I think it was like 2016, it just really started impacting my life. Um, I was really struggling to work. I hardly leave the house unless I absolutely had to, because, mm -hmm. You know, even just going for a coffee with my mum was exhausting. Um, my pain levels skyrocketed. and Yeah, so it, it has gone up and down over the years. Mm -hmm. So I've had times when I've struggled to work at all. Um, at the moment, I'm working 24 hours a week. Mm -hmm. um, but working that much means that I don't do anything outside of work. Right, okay. Yeah, I still don't have a social life. I still need help around the house, that kind of thing, because working kind of takes all my screens away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I've gone from, like, kind of super mum, and my kids don't remember because they're only teenagers now. Yeah. It's kind of sad that they don't remember when I used to do everything. Oh, yeah. Having support workers come in and do everything for us. Right, yeah. 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 I'm going to ask you that the, you mentioned spoons. So because, and it's something I've, I've seen people mention and read about, but I don't quite understand it because I, is that more, is that more of um, something that people talk about from the auti autistic side of things or where did, I, I'm interested yeah. in where this has come from and yeah, what it actually means. Cause I, I, I yeah, I just, I'm not, I don't understand yeah. it from my perspective. I think um, it came from chronic illness okay. kind of community and then it spread out. And I do see it a lot with um, autistic adults and stuff. To be honest, I'm actually not a fan of um, the spoon theory. I just said it because more people know what it is. Ah, I, actually okay. like the, <laughs> I actually like the idea of a mobile phone battery. So, okay. you know, you mobile okay. like you charge it up. Yep. Sometimes as it gets older, you can't charge it all the way. It won't quite charge all the way. Um, it um, goes down quicker when you're doing particular activities. Some things, you know, if you just kind of um, got it sitting next to you, it'll go down slowly. But if you're playing a game, it goes down really quickly. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it just dies altogether out of the blue. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes you can charge it up you might be able to just you know put in a few minutes charge so mm -hmm. um and then get a little bit more energy so so i kind of like that one that one um feels more relatable to me with mm -hmm. the spoons it's that you get a certain number of spoons a day and then each thing that you do will use you know a spoon or two spoons or three spoons and then once you're out of spoons you're out of spoons right so, okay 
Yeah. yeah. So I guess if you're looking at a battery icon on a mobile phone, you see the bars and so the spoons would be the bars. Would is that what you say? Yeah, similar. Yeah. But I think um the the mobile phone one kind of gives you that flexibility of the the um like I'm a very visual person, so I yes. find the visual of the of the battery and the fact that you can charge it a little bit or not, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of thing just works better for me. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. for me, when I think of spoons, I think of the drinking game that I used to play. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I have played that, but actually didn't realise it was a drinking game. <laughs> yeah. I played um, it with my kids. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I, um, yeah, I played it. The only time I played it was a drinking game. And the, the idea was that you take a shot. So, you say, for example, we might have, I think we played it with, five people and yep. so there's four spoons and so basically you, t- you take a shot and then you grab the spoon and and the person who is the last who doesn't get a spoon they've got to take a shot oh. and so and then it just gets yeah it goes lower and lower and lower and yeah I completely lost <laughs> um, yeah well I um the game I played is actually a card game Game, but again you have to grab the spoon so obviously it's the kid friendly version of the game <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah oh no that was it that, and that would have been about or oh, 20 yeah 20 years ago wow time time has crept on yeah wow <laughs> so um karen i was asking i've asked every uh, guest that i've had on the podcast um what are the 10 things that you'd like people to know about disability because we've all, we all experience it differently. And so we all have different things that we do and don't like about it. So what have you, what have you got in your, in your list about what yeah. you'd like people to know? So I didn't quite get to 10, but I do have a, a bit of a list. I think I've got seven. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess um, I should explain that um, the past kind of 10 years of my work has all been in rights and policy and communication and that kind of thing. So Mm -hmm. a lot of these fit in either under that or um, from my own personal experience. And, you know, I want people to know that disabled people have rights and we have rights just like everyone else. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's really easy to forget with, like, you know, guardians and support workers and all that kind of stuff. But Mm -hmm. absolutely. Same rights. Um, I think some people get scared about how they can interact or help people with disability. For me, I know some people don't like being helped. For me, mm-hmm. I often need that help. Mm-hmm. And I think just ask, like, you know, I don't have an issue with, oh, can I help you at all? Mm-hmm. It's like I would ask anyone that anyway, mm-hmm. you know, not just a person with disability. But yeah, so just ask, well, is there anything that I can do different mm-hmm. that would make this easier for you? Yeah. Um, I think just be aware of all the barriers. Like, just try and think what what things, you know, if you're setting up a, a podcast chat, what are the things that this person actually might find difficult mm-hmm. in this? And it's different for everyone, so it's not just that there isn't a ramp at the building, which is obviously, you know, an absolutely huge barrier that mm. affects a lot of people. Mm. Um, but it can be things like, um, you know, I've sat in a meeting where they've sat me on the table and they've all sat in front of the window. So I can't actually see any of their faces because they've got the light coming yes. in behind them. Yes. So it's those kinds of little things that what, what's going on here and, you know, what can I do differently that's going to make this a better experience for the person um i think intersectionality and it took me years to actually kind of not get my head around what it was to remember what it was called <laughs> mm-hmm. but that's that idea that um you know so a person with disabilities has barriers mm-hmm. um a person who is um female or non-binary with disabilities has an extra layer of barriers mm-hmm. And a person who's from, um, you know, doesn't speak English as their first language or a person who's from First Nations community has another layer of barriers. So it's looking at all those different layers 
um, of intersectionality and how that impacts on how people can actually um, be included and participate in things. Mm -hmm. um, this is a really big one, and this is one that I guess came from me from my kids. Mm -hmm. and supporting them but what's good for people with disabilities is actually good for everyone yes so mm -hmm. <laughs> um and the example that i like to give there is so my kids have autism and um they recommend social stories which are like a story of what's going to happen with pictures and simple words and um for the most part my kids weren't really into social stories but we did it for school camp um for my son and we were chatting, um, I was chatting with the, I think it was the deputy, but um, about his anxiety. And she said, oh, we've got a lot of kids who are really anxious. Like, you know, mm -hmm. they haven't been to camp before, blah, blah, blah. Haven't been away from mum and dad. And I said, well, you've got this big digital screen in the hall. Why don't you actually put the social story up on the screen and have the whole year go and look at it? And they did it. And they were like, it was fantastic. The kids were so much, feeling so much better afterwards. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And a lot of those little kind of changes and supports that people with um, disabilities need really mm -hmm. benefit everyone. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So just tell me that the, that the screen, the social story, what, so what, what was actually on the screen? Um, so yeah, I'm, I never really got right into the social stories and there is a particular way of phrasing what yep. the text is in it. Um, but for instance, it might say something like, um, I eat my breakfast and dinner in the food hall. And then there might be a photo inside the food hall, a photo outside showing the outside of the food hall, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So it kind of describes what is going to happen or what um is happening yeah um and the, but then it has the visuals to go along with it as well right so is this is this to it is the idea of this to have children see this and know what's going to happen so therefore their anxiety is reduced yeah and um a lot of people with autism particularly kids have really high anxiety about change in mm -hmm. particular so that kind of transition any any transition between one thing and another is something that you really have to provide support through mm -hmm. um, and help them learn how to manage that and so this was part of that like we it's like we're going to be transitioning from school and home to camp so this is what you can expect this is what will be happening this is what it looks like these are the things we'll be doing but in a very kind of structured way. So normally um, if you were talking to kids who didn't have autism or didn't have anxiety, for instance, mm. you might show them some photos, but you just kind of talk through everything. Mm -hmm. um, if you wrote it down, you might kind of just write what things are maybe. I don't know. So mm -hmm. the general idea of it isn't specific to autism, probably the way the text is written is quite specific to autism but it's mm -hmm. also very very useful to everyone yeah yeah absolutely yeah. and that's the thing like um it's just interesting like there is universal design out there but it's still something that people aren't getting their heads around like yeah. uh, i guess in the general community a lot of people are still thinking about accessibility and like inclusion um as something extra are yeah. you finding that still? Yes. Like an add-on kind um, of thing. Yeah. 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 And I was yeah. just also thinking while you were um, saying that as well, is that people tend to think of, they tend to think of ramps and they tend to think of braille or captions or mm. they've got a fairly narrow idea of what accessibility mm. and inclusion is. And I, really like to look at the whole picture so yeah like absolutely and what it's you a... see what you smell what you feel, yes what, yeah mm, yeah how you can yeah because yeah. that's a that's a phrase i use a lot when i'm um when i'm talking about my business is holistic, holistic accessibility so it's the every, every single thing so the way i look at it is everything every single thing um 
that I'm going to start again with my thinking because I, I, I have a habit of thinking and talking at the same time. So it's not very, but yeah. so basically this is how I look at it. I look at it as a person. If a person has to ask for assistance, uh, then that's not accessible. Then whatever they're asking assistance for isn't accessible. So therefore, it, so it's, it's it's just a yeah. So it's a wide ranging thing, and I also talk about invisible barriers. Yeah. And I get asked a lot, well, what are invisible barriers? And it's a it's a hard one to answer because those invisible barriers are going to differ from person to person. Um. So yeah, there's not. I I wouldn't say that there is sort of um standard invisible barriers. I think it's all. An individual basis would you agree yeah absolutely but I do think there are some things that you can do to try and meet the needs of most people yeah like for instance maybe not having um perfumes or deodorants or whatever in your workplace you know, yes. for some places yeah. that's really extreme but yeah. for others yeah. that's quite not you know natural thing to do and yeah a lot of us would appreciate that um Mm. always writing in very simple language, whether it's an actual easy read or whether you're just writing in very plain English, you know, trying not to use jargon, explaining what the jargon means. Mm. Um, yeah, and I think people aren't used to thinking about things that way. But it's yeah, and it's so easy. Important. It's interesting because those two things that you mentioned, the, the smell and the uh, reading things easy, that is not like when I, uh, in my, when I was working in an office for 20 years, that was something that was brought up again and again and again. Like, you know, because like after lunch, you know, women would grab their deodorant out, out of their drawers and spray it on. And it's like they'd have to, have to be reminded that you can't do that because there were people in the office that had sensitivities, you know, migraines, etc. Um, so yeah, all these things, they don't just help people with disabilities, they help everybody. And that's where, yeah, we've got to sort of get more, I think, yeah, that needs to become more of a thing. Accessibility isn't just for people with disabilities, it's for everybody. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we just got to get that, that whole um, way of thinking across. Yeah. So I was just going to say, I think a lot of the time people think about themselves, which is a very natural thing for yes. humans to do. Yes. But if you're, say, writing a document or setting up a meeting, you think, okay, what do I need to do? What would I need in this meeting? Mm. And to be truly kind of inclusive and accessible, you need to think what might all the people in this meeting need. Yeah. It's not just about me. Yeah. And that's an interesting point because um, until you've encountered all these different things you don't actually know that they're going to be needed so it's that's, that's also that's a difficult hurdle for people to get past um i was at doing a zoom the other day and I, uh, so i joined this meeting and this meeting had about uh, probably maybe 20 people on zoom and also there was a person there that was deaf blind and so they had a they had the captions on and they also had somebody signing and, I, and I'd never seen someone sign, signing on Zoom before. So for me, that was a whole thing, a new thing as well. And, yeah, you know, how do you even get, you know, Auslan interpreters um, to join? Those are, those are the sort of things that yeah. are, are new to me as well. So I'm learning all that too. Yeah. And it's, it's just a, when you look at accessibility, it's such a huge, huge industry. Like, yeah, there's where... Um, one thing I did notice was when I did a Google search for, for accessibility, the two things that came up for the majority is web design. Uh, so, yeah, web design documents and, yeah, yeah the, the rants and the steps. So that, that, that yeah. I think, you know, we need to have when we like when people search for, for accessibility, yeah, we need to see more things popping up so that people understand that, yes, it's more than those three things. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I was yeah. just thinking actually it's a good industry to be in because our yeah. society and community is changing so quickly yeah. that the idea of what inclusion and accessibility is has changed to try and keep up. 
Yeah, and then absolutely. most of the community is kind of right back here. We're up here, and then <laughs> people's needs are up here. Yeah, mm. so we're always trying to bring people forward, but I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, and that's an interesting one because uh, have you seen the, the documentary uh, Crip Camp? No, I actually haven't yet. Yeah, so that was really interesting for um, for watch if, and that's I th think that's still on Netflix. Um, and yeah, so it's fascinating to see it was, it was about, yeah, it was a place on um, that where the people with disabilities went uh, for like a, on summer camp and it was American and basically these civil rights, all these yeah, rights activists, disability rights activists and how they were fighting for access and inclusion all the way back in the 60s. And so then they're still fighting for it now. Like it's just, I didn't realize just how long these fights have been going on for. And I, because you and I are both part of the Disability Leadership Institute. And I think it was a conversation that we saw um, talking about the different protests that have been happening all over the years. Like it's just, and it's funny, like even though I've had a disability all my life to see all these things that have been going on for years that I just took for granted that, yeah, it was, it was just, it's such an eye-opening thing. Yeah. 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 I think there's a lot of people out there, um, disabled people, but also their families and friends and that kind of thing, that never see that other flip side of yeah. rights and intersectionality and the barriers. Like, they, they're never exposed to that. So they have a very different experience of, disability and mm. quite interesting yeah. yeah absolutely i think it's a case of people to see it see things and accept that that is the way that they are like the way things yeah that's the way things are and don't get to see the difficulties that are happening which show that the way things are aren't necessarily working that they do need that change mm. Yeah, it's one yeah. of the challenges for us, isn't it? Is being able to kind of lead the way without mm. um, leaving people behind or making them feel like they aren't good enough or they aren't, mm. you know, in terms of like businesses and organisations trying to get them to be more inclusive. But if you yes kind of start at up here mm. <laughs> on the same, you know, they're going to be like, well, that's impossible. I can't do that. So it's exactly. kind of like. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Starting yeah. from where they are. Mm. Mm. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah, exactly. So I know that in the past when I've approached businesses or when I've talked to business owners about accessibility and, um, and I'm not just talking about the, yeah, the ramps and steps that we're all, we've discussed earlier. Um, but when I've talked about it to them, they're like, oh, it's, we're doing this or is it, it's too expensive. And that, that's the, one of the things I hear again and again and again. Oh, it's too expensive. And, um, yeah, so it, it, there's that, that barrier rather than it's hard to get them to see the end result of what things would be like yeah. if, they, if, if those issues were addressed. Yeah. yeah, and to be honest, they're not wrong. I actually think mm. the government should have a kind of accessibility um, fund set up, you know, so that if a, a business wants to write their contract in easy read, you know, they can apply, they can get a few thousand dollars to have that done. Yeah. I really feel that, that that should be available to um, to be used in any way that's going to make a business more accessible. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there were because there was one thing I was thinking about earlier this year before COVID hit, um, and yeah, it's sort of at the moment it's on hold. But like I was just thinking about this particular thing um, that I thought would make the shopping experience for people with disabilities easier, but mm. it wouldn't just help people with disabilities; it would help everybody. But then it was yeah. a, it would be a matter of okay, so this thing may be expensive. Um, so therefore, how do you get shop owners to, you know, uh, implement this change when, yeah, yeah it, it's really more a societal issue. Uh, so therefore, 
yeah, why should the business wear the cost when they, it's it's like, it's like with the NDIS, there should be something, as you say, there should be something that doesn't just help us, the people with disabilities, but also helps those who are trying to help us. If, Mm. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of the business owners, I was just thinking um, it's that whole idea that you've got to invest to make money and I think they get that in terms of marketing and they get that in terms of like their systems that they use but about getting them to get that it's the same with accessibility inclusion and they're mm. still in that headspace you were talking about where it's an add-on. Yes, yes, so, yes. Yeah. yeah, it's it's like yes, we're trying our best, um, but this is we're 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 stuck in what we can do, and <laughs> yeah, so it's it's trying to get people out of that that mindset, um, yeah, and looking at ways to be able to help them, help them help us, yeah. So going back um, earlier on, you were talking about uh, things that you've been doing over the last thirty years in. Um, you said you started off in policy, is that right? Uh, no, policy was fairly recent, yeah. but it was actually um, like policies and procedures, not kind of an overarching type governmental. Okay, yep, 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 yep. So I, um, one of my most recent jobs was um, a policy and procedure project to re- rewrite them all, reformat them all, um, and I basically was able to, I rewrote them all into plain English mm-hmm. and then developed Easy Read um, sets to sit alongside them as well. But this particular, I, I'm not entirely sure how it happened, but this particular organisation um, had hundreds, hundreds of policies. It might have been like 300 or something. Mm-hmm. It was incredible how many policies they had. And so... A lot of my job was um, working out how they all fit in together and then, like, combining them all. And I think um, talking about disability, I think this is one of the ways in which my disability has actually really helped me because um, so I have an ADHD but I also have, like, the brain fog and memory stuff. Mm-hmm things need to be really clear for me to read them and remember them and understand them. Um, so I've become uh, really good at being able to do that, like to read mm-hmm. something that's complex and then make it into the simple and kind of, and it's not just about the words, it's about the, the order, the formatting, mm-hmm. the everything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of, I'd done a little bit of that sort of work, but mm-hmm. that job was the one where I was like, you know what, I actually really enjoy doing this. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. I love, I love that feeling of yeah, finding something that you just absolutely love doing and yeah. Yeah. yeah fascinating. So just, I mean, one of the things um, you were talking about earlier also was about the, um, Ask people, yeah, yeah, asking people for whether or not they want it, they want assistance because that's a, a big thing that um, I've seen, I guess, like to, people talking about is, yeah, that and even like um, people on the other side, the carers, etc., <laughs> yeah, being uh, uh, unsure about whether or not that they, they should ask people or. There's, that's an interesting one because I guess it's an, it's an individual um, individual experience, I would say. Um, and some people don't even like being asked because they've had too many people assume and do. Right, okay, yeah. But yep. I, I still feel that it's better to ask yes, than it yeah. is to not. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I do. It's, it's, it's an interesting thing. I feel sorry for the people without the disabilities who are sort of, yeah, they're in this space of what well, should I, or shouldn't I, or yeah, that it's, it, it's, it'd be such a hard, a hard thing to stand back and want to be at, want to help, but yeah, being that, in that scared position of what's the right thing or what's not, 
not the right thing. Yeah. I think I try to see it as would, is this something that I would do for anyone? Mm. Um, and if it, if it is, yes, I'd definitely do it. Like I, if I saw someone struggling with heavy bags, I would offer if I yes. could help them. Yep. Depending on my physical capability on the yeah. day, of course. But, um, and th- but then if, it is someone that I can see has a disability and I think, oh, well, I wouldn't normally ask someone else. Then mm. I maybe kind of see and think about is, is this the right time to ask or not? And I think you kind of know, like, and the it's the way that you say it as well. Mm-hmm. Like if you talk to someone, like you would talk to anyone, they're highly unlikely to become offended. But I think there's... Um, you know, some people treat people with disabilities like children or, mm. and that it's more about the way that you ask that can be an issue. Than the yeah. 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 Or the doing people who just assume and, and do the help rather than. Ask. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where, I, that's where I think it's interesting now because yeah, I, I've seen people in the past where, um, they have asked a person that is like I've seen like witness it myself where I've seen people ask another person with a disability if they needed help and that person would just go off at them and just say, No, no, I don't need help rather than just say, No, thank you, but no but it was just, so yeah, those experiences I think scare people from from wanting to do wanting to do what they think would be the right thing. Yeah. 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 So unfortunate. Yeah. Although I can see kind of <laughs> sitting on all sides of the fence these mm. days, I can see why that happens. Why, what, you know, so I, f- from your perspective, what, why do you think that does? Um, I think, well, uh, for my children, for example, and they yeah. what I was thinking of, every year at school, we it's like starting fresh. So we have to work with the teachers. We have to, you know, my kids don't cope well with that transition from one year to the other anyway. And then mm. it's like, all the things that you've told the year before and that you've had in place the year before, they, they just kind of, they forget about them or they lose them. And um, so my son's 17 and he was diagnosed at seven mm-hmm. for 10 years. I've been doing that and then for one child and then, you know, for like um, eight years for the second child. And, mm-hmm. you know, and that, that becomes really wearing. Mm-hmm. You, you kind of get a bit sick of it really and sometimes it's hard to remain the kind of calm collaborative Mm. (laughs) yeah Yeah. and um (laughs) i think for a lot of people with disability um if you have been treated like a child most of your life then if someone talks to you in that way like it's it's really difficult to deal with and I think yeah. a lot of people with disability and their family have been asked if they need help. Mm-hmm. And when they do say yes, which can be a huge thing because we all want to be independent and we don't want to have to rely on other people mm. for help. Mm. Um, and so we finally say, yes, actually, I do need help. And then the help doesn't come. Like that happens such. So I think there's an awful lot for people with disability and the people in their lives that, um, can make them respond in certain ways that make things more difficult. Um, but it's about the support. So I guess it, it really is chicken and the egg, but hopefully <laughs> as we start providing more yes. support and more inclusion, then yeah. people will not need to respond or not need. Um, yeah. They won't be in a situation where they feel that's the only response they can give. Mm. I like when you said about the chicken and the egg because that's exactly what it's like in the disability space when it comes to certain things. It's like, and, yeah, really, I can apply that to so many things that I'm thinking about where I ramble on a little bit because that's it. It's like it's trying to, yeah, figure out how how things should be done. Um, But, yeah, it's the whole chicken and the egg. It's it's just, yeah. Yeah. So um, one other thing I wanted to touch on is um, because I'm in, I'm in Victoria and you're in ACT, is that right? 
Yeah. Yep. So um, obviously, you know, with COVID, everything going on, uh, what's been your experience with COVID um, in regards to, I guess, for yourself and also for your children? What's it, how's, how's COVID impacted mm. your experiences with disability, et cetera? Yeah, it's been really interesting. I think our experience has been a bit different to everyone else's and that's partially because we've had a lot of stuff going on personally for us. Mm -hmm. Um, In April, we actually moved. We moved house, we moved town. So we were living out in the country. Um, Mm -hmm. And that was right about the time that our first isolation period started here. Mm -hmm. Um, And we were planning on moving, but we were going to be staying there a bit longer and then all of a sudden they started talking about lockdown and I was like, oh, my God, we've got to move now. Mm. Um, so I think in some ways that almost kind of shielded us from a lot of that first isolation lockdown stuff because we just had so much to do mm. to get moved in and that. But um, obviously for people with autism, people with anxiety, um, just that not knowing. And I think everyone's feeling this, but it's kind of like, you know, <laughs> a bit mm. of a sliding scale. Mm. And because things change so quickly, like it was almost impossible not to have anxiety over mm. the changes because it would be like one day they'd be like, no, we're not going to be locking anyone down. That won't be happening. <laughs> and 12 hours later, okay, isolation starts tomorrow. And I think that was really difficult. Um, to cope with and you know for the kids um suddenly having to be at home and doing school my kids could not cope with that so they basically did almost no school Mm -hmm. um luckily I'd been I have a really flexible workplace so I worked from home a day or two a week anyway and so it wasn't as big an adjustment for me other than always having my kids here which was interesting Mm -hmm. (laughs) um but I guess the What's been really interesting for me is that here in the ACT, they're kind of saying, you got any symptoms of a cold or a flu, get mm-hmm. tested. Yeah, same here. And winter, hay fever season, three kids who then went back to school, so they've been back at school. I think it's just this term. I can't quite remember, but anyway. Um, so we've actually had to be tested, I think, five separate times right right and in that five separate times we haven't been able to then have any support in the house right and um yeah I find that really interesting and I actually posted in a um a Facebook disability group for the ACT and said do you know any organizations who will actually come in because I was like surely there must be like some um, ex-nurses or, like, you know, they provide them with the, what is it, PEP? Yeah. Uh, yeah, PPE. PPE. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, surely there must be someone who's willing to do that. And nobody knew of anyone. So I just wow. find that really interested. I'm, uh, interesting. I'm not sure because our first, the first time it happened, we were actually living in Yas and the organisation just said we can't come in. Mm-hmm. Like, so they went and did some grocery shopping and left the groceries on the step and that kind of thing, which was great. Um, but they would not come in. And since then, I've just kind of been like, oh, we've been tested for COVID. Um, probably shouldn't come. I don't know whether that's actually their policy or whether it's just because I say that. Right. Um, but I find that really difficult to have no support because mm-hmm. I can do things, but you know, then I could do less other things and I'm still trying to work and care for the kids and yeah. as well as then trying to do all the stuff around the house. And mm. So we've, I think we've all found that quite stressful in some ways. But on the other hand, suddenly having to cancel all our therapies and appointments has been wonderful. Yeah. Because <laughs> with yeah. four of us having disabilities, I tend to be on the go a lot. Ah, right. Yeah, so that bit has been nice, but yeah. um, yeah. Luckily, the tests are now coming back quite quickly. So in Canberra, we've even had one that only took eleven hours to come back. Oh, that's um, good. 
Yeah, at the start they were tweaking two or three days. So, um, oh, yeah. who have we got here? <laughs> this is Luna. She was a panda too. Luna's beautiful. Yeah. She is. Um, yeah, but I think it's been a really interesting experience. I know there's a lot of discussion about whether the way that we're working now and the flexibility and accessibility that we've had, that it'll have to stay, but I'm already, I mean, I've kind of doubted that all along. I don't know, it might be different down in Melbourne where you've actually been in lockdown for a lot longer. It's, it's had a bigger impact. But I feel like here we kind of got off so lightly that I don't know. Like I know there's some government departments that are now saying everyone must be back full time. Right, and yeah. Even yeah. though we don't have cases here, we have, you know, a lot of interstate people. And, yeah. 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 So we're, I'm in a regional part of Victoria. Um, yeah. So I'm about an hour away from Melbourne. Um, so for us, yeah, it's been locked down since March. Um, so I could count on my hand, my, my, on my two hands, the number of times that I've been outside. Mm. Uh, so yeah, it's been interesting, but like for the, the, um, the support side of things, that's been interesting as well, because, um, at the beginning, it just felt like there wasn't any kind of thing in place for people with disabilities. It was actually a case of, if you get sick, we don't know what's going to happen to your supports. And that was, that was, that's, that was scary because I rely on that every day. Yeah. Um, so yeah. for me, that was, that was extremely stressful. Um, and then I think eventually we sort of started to get a drip down information from DHHS as to what would happen. Uh, so I do know now that, yeah, if, if, if I did happen to get sick and it, get COVID that they do have they this, do. Um, a workforce ready to jump in and um, yeah, basically yeah, come in and do what they need to do. If it was the case that I was COVID positive. So I'm, I'm lucky that I haven't had to have a test done as yet. So um, mm. that's, yeah, that's been good. But um, I guess like for, yeah, for someone like yourself, um, yeah, having your, um, supports for you and then having to have supports for your children that would just be a that's a double barrel I, I couldn't imagine that especially when you've got yeah things going on yourself at that, that part I, I couldn't imagine at least for me it's just um I just yeah have a daily uh, person coming every morning and that's it yeah so yeah yeah it's it is interesting I do um so I did actually have another couple of points written down in my yeah. 10 things, but oh, then the yes. next one was actually about that whole invisible disability thing. And mm. I think like it's getting more um, exposure now. And I think people are getting on top of people can have disabilities and I can't see them and mm -hmm. they kind of get that. Yeah. Um, but I find it's really hard because my primary disability is my fatigue. So, mm -hmm. You know, after I've sat at this desk now and we've been talking for, what, nearly an hour, I'll have to go and lay down for probably an hour or so. Wow, At the okay. end of the day of work. Um, sorry, my dog keeps bringing me cat. Oh, that's um, all right. I love at the end, of, At the end of my day of work, um, you know, I usually have to go and lay down for two or three hours before I can actually get up and think about dinner or mm. putting a load of washing on or anything. Um and that's really hard, I think, for people to understand how how that actually impacts you. And, like, we just kind of have this idea of you're tired, like you just need to go to bed earlier. I, yeah. I think people really struggle to get their head around what kind of, and I don't have chronic fatigue, but, you know, that kind of chronic fatigue thing, um, how that actually affects you and what it looks like. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Because, yeah, and, and then that's got to be hard as well, like the whole invisible disability. Um, do you feel like you're always, do you feel like you have to justify yourself a lot? Um, do you know, I've actually been lucky 
and never had a problem in a disability accessible parking. Yeah. I don't know how I've managed to get away with that, but anyway. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I think maybe because I've always been really upfront about it. Yeah. Yeah. Since I've identified as disabled, that maybe like the last couple of jobs I've had have actually gone into them saying, um, I have a disability mm -hmm. and this is what I need from you if I'm going to take this job. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. And so I've been lucky that I've had that kind of flexibility. But I think um, one of the biggest things for me, and I and I, I keep saying it to people, but I don't know how you ever get around it. Mm -hmm is that um, with the fatigue, you just, like, I can't work more. Yes. And yes. so it really limits our capacity to live at a certain level. Mm -hmm. um, I don't qualify for um, DSP because apparently I work too much, even right. though I can't afford to work less. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, and I, I just find, like, it's great to have flexibility. I love it that, um, especially at the moment working from home, I'll work the morning, I'll go and lay down for a couple of hours, and mm -hmm. then I come back and work into the evening, and that's actually been really good for me. Um, but, you know, there are days when I can't work at all, mm. and then I feel this immense pressure to make those hours up because I can't afford not to. Mm. Um yeah, one organisation I actually worked for actually had this, and I can't remember what it was called, but it was like a special support program and it was for people with, like, serious and chronic conditions could apply and they provided some financial support um, in, like, paid leave and that kind of thing. And mm -hmm. so I actually applied for that and I was turned down because um, my condition wasn't, severe enough they said you have to have something like cancer or something and I was like mm -hmm. maybe you need to reword what you're actually <laughs> saying but the other thing is um you know this, this is my life this is because my condition's degenerative like it's only going to get worse from here on in and I, mm. I you know I really struggle with that yeah 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 that's it. It's an interesting one you're talking about, like um, getting denied. Like I had to go through um, a process years ago to get assistance when I st finally started needing extra help. And yeah, like the hoops that you had to jump through and like it, it was just basically, you felt like you had to sl sl um, slot yourself into this, what, they wanted a person with a disability ability to look like to be able to yeah. get the stuff. And I was just like, well, that's not my reality, but it doesn't mean I don't need the stuff. So, yeah. yeah, we've really got, I think that's probably part of the problem is that having to fit into this particular model, um, even though we're now talking about the social model of disability, it's still being governed by the, the medical aspect of disability or for medical thought, which just doesn't, the two, the, it's too problematic having both of those things working together, I believe. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I actually, maybe they could get away with some of the medical model stuff if it wasn't something that we had to go through again and again and again. Yeah, yes. Like, you know yes. what I mean? If there oh, was yes. some kind of, I mean, not that this would ever happen and not that I'm advocating for it to happen, but if there was some kind of central database that kind of kept a record of where you're up to with your disability and blah, blah, blah. And, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, yeah, that I could see there'd be a billion problems with that too. But <laughs> yeah. it, it really gets exhausting having to talk through it all the time and what you can and can't do and mm -hmm. if you're having a good week then yeah. you kind of feel yeah. like you have to pretend that you're not feeling good because people will judge you for yes exactly it's like do oh, you don't have a disability because you don't look yeah. bad <laughs> well yeah yeah, yeah that's yeah. and i think I, i'm lucky in that respect being in the with the wheelchair because like people don't don't question me 
yeah yeah true although that's problematic in its own right isn't it because people have made an assumption that uh, yes yes. yeah so, I, so I, get, I get the assumptions um and then yeah i get the judgments but i also have that privilege of being up people seeing that i've got a disability so it's like having a privilege and then the privilege being problematic so that, that that's a very yeah. interesting one yeah um but like for me for example i know like with the parking permit, I think they've caught on because the parking permits, you don't have to renew them as often now. Um, but it's always like you used to have to take this thing to, to the doctor to say, yes, I've still got a disability or, you know, for, for the government, you'd have to fill out paperwork. Yes, I still have a disability and I was born with a congenital disability. So that's not going to change. So why, why are you asking me again and again if I still yeah. have a disability? Like you haven't come up with the QR. So yes, I do. <laughs> yeah, so it's... I have to do that with the kids too. There's some government paperwork where you have to, every few years, you have to have a doctor fill it out and say, yeah, they still have autism. Yeah, they still have these needs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, and that's it. Like, yeah, if we could have, like, I know it's probably problematic, but, yeah, if there could be something. I guess, like, even with the um, my health record or whatever that thing is that they have at, um, with the doctors, yeah, if it could be something that's just a tick box saying permanent, then that would be, that, that would just mean it would take away so many problems throughout. Yeah, absolutely. And then you can actually look at what people can do and what supports they need instead of focusing on what's wrong with them. Oh, yes. Yeah, mm. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I love the what's wrong. And uh, it's been interesting. I, I read a lot of other um, people with disabilities who are uh, bl like writing blogs and that and talking about this. I've been so used to saying, you know, uh, I've been, yeah, I've been so used to being asked, you know, what's wrong with you that I've always just answered it. And now I'm really, really, I wouldn't say I'm sensitive about it, but like, you know, uh, please don't ask me about it. sort of more trying to get people to, yeah, think about it a different way. Um, and so, like, I guess I, I like to say that I've got a condition, um, that, yeah, and talk about it that way as opposed to, they're having like my condition isn't my disability yeah. um yeah, yeah so i like to sort of separate those two things and, and talk about the disability from yes the social side of things yeah 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 oh thank yeah, you it's so interesting I, I think we've um had been on the on the outskirts of a chat before about advocacy and and what yeah um, responsibility do we have to be advocates and i guess in terms of my kids i've always kind of had to mm. be mm. um yeah. but yeah i think even if you want to be an advocate you came for so long and then after that it's kind of like mm. well, i remember <laughs> like, anyway sorry to interrupt you <laughs> no 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 i was just saying thanks for bringing up all these interesting points um because like yeah i remember like i a few months ago i got i got um someone said oh I love the, the advocacy work you're doing. And I'm like, and I, I just was like, I'm not an advocate. And I, it got my back up. Now it's, it doesn't get my back up as much because I understand why they thought that. And I can understand that, yeah, sure, I write about my experiences to the end. We talk about all these things with these podcasts. So therefore that is a form of advocacy because it's kind of making people aware but it's not like I'm out there holding the signs and doing all that kind of stuff and writing to politicians. And I, I don't do any of that stuff. It's just, yeah. for me, it's just making people aware because I believe that it's all to do with the grassroots that, and that's yeah. where things, um, are, this is just my belief, but this is where things need to change the grassroots, making people aware because it's the people then that feedback to governments, that kind of thing. Yeah, we need all kinds of advocates. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think yeah, we need it at, at all levels, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Karen, for the talk today. It's been, it's, yeah, it's been absolutely interesting just to talk about the different aspects of um, disability and for people to, yeah, to see the different ways and how it affects everybody. And, you yeah, know, it's just been really lovely to talk to you. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. And just I before. Can't wait to spend the morning. 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I also wanted to ask you, uh, for people, if they wanted to follow you on social media, uh, do you have any public social media accounts that you'd like people to follow? I do, although they, at the moment, they're not very active. Mm -hmm. um, but they will be in the near future. Yeah. Um, I've got a page on um, Facebook, Karen Headley Consulting, and then mm -hmm. I've also just set one up on um, Next Level Inclusion, what it's called. Yeah, because um, yeah, I'm hoping once I finish the role that I'm in now that I will be out as a consultant as you are working on similar issues but from a slightly different mm. focus. I guess, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, wow. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you again. It's been a really good, uh, really great time speaking to you. And, um, yeah, so you can follow Karen on those, on those uh, um, socials that she mentioned. And I hope everyone has a great week and I'll see you all next week. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye.